Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome this morning. Great to have you guys here. What a sweet, sweet presence in the house today. Take your Bibles out. Let's get to the Word of God. Luke 23, Luke 23. So good to have each one of you here. Thank you for coming and being with us today. Uh, there's a story about a wealthy man who whispered to his nurse, he was dying, just, just had a few hours to live, and he says, quick, go get my lawyer and get my accountant. And so she hurried out of the house, and she came back, and these two guys are falling right behind her, and, and one got on one side of the bed, and one got on the other, and they leaned real close to see what he had to say. And he whispered, he mustered enough string, he just said these words, thank you. And they looked at him and said, for What? And he said, well, now I can die like Jesus between two thieves. <laughs> Let's stand together for the reading of God's word today. I think you know where I'm going with this this morning. We're going to talk about two thieves as we look at perspectives from the cross. Luke 23 and verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out to be executed and when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on the right, and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jump down to verse 39. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourselves and us. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Father, we come to you today recognizing we need your sweet spirit and presence and help this morning. Lord, as we just begin to get a little handle and glimpse of your grace, touch our hearts this morning. I thank you, God, that you took my place. Thank you for this word this morning. Lord, we need you. Anoint it, we pray in Jesus' holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. In this month, we have been looking at perspectives from the cross, and we've looked at, as we look at different people and what they saw at the cross and what happened that day, we kind of are getting the whole picture put together of really what Calvary's all about. The first one we looked at was Centurion. He starts out, it's, it's just like any other day, another execution. He'd executed many people along the way. He's just doing his job, just doing his duties. But there's something different about this man. And when he has a perspective of the cross and he sees Jesus hanging there, he comes to the conclusion, surely this man was the son of God. And then we looked at Mary and his mother and John the beloved. And they're at the foot of the cross and they were there because they chose to be. The other disciples ran for their lives and they hid and got as far away as they could, but John is right there. And we begin to get a new glimpse of what our new family is all about because you see Calvary not only brings us into right relationship with the Lord God Almighty, but it makes us one body and one family. And so we see what it means, behold your mother, behold your son, and what it means to come into a new family, a new relationship because of Calvary. Amen. Today we're gonna look at two thieves. 
on either side of the Lord Jesus Christ, one on his left and one on his right. They are no good, dirty, rotten scoundrels. They are thieves, they are crooks, they deserve to be on that cross. We don't know how long they were on death row, how long they were in that dungeon waiting for their execution, but this day they're walking on this road and there's two of them and they're carrying their cross and they see a third man, a man they don't recognize. And for some reason the crowd's a little rowdier than usual, for some reason they're all focused on this one third person in the lineup and they're looking at him and they're watching him and they're mocking him and some are weeping and some are crying and they're hurting their insults and they're wondering what is going on today like on any other day that they've ever witnessed or experienced before. Who was this third man? They didn't see him in the dungeon. They didn't see him in the jail cell. They weren't there when he was there and for some reason he's got a crown of thorns that have been pressed down on his brow. For some reason he has been beaten and his back has been laid open. For some reason he is unlike the other two and they just can't figure it all out. What is he doing there as he journeys along? It's amazing how Jesus at times will come into our world when we least expect him. And we don't know when he's gonna be there and when he's gonna show up, but he comes and he helps us in our time of need. He is always there, he is always our great high priest, and he's always ready to help at any moment, at any time. There were, there were three men in a fiery furnace, and I will tell you, when you're going through your trial and you're going through tests, it's in that moment that God comes along, Jesus comes along, and he stands right beside you in your trial and in your time of testing. He will be there. And how many times in our times of doubt, when we doubt the Lord, we doubt who he is, and yet we're like Peter, we step out of the boat, but our doubts surround us and the waves are crashing all around us and we start to drown in the water, drown in our sea of doubts, but a hand comes out and it lifts us up out of the water and Jesus comes along just in our time of need. And we are just like these thieves. We're headed down a road to our own execution We deserve punishment for our sins and for our crimes and all that we've done, but then out of nowhere, the third man comes. And he hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And we hear those amazing words. And when he comes in like that, how do we respond? Are we gonna be like the thief on the left of Jesus or like the thief on the right? Because I will tell you, those thieves are us. That's what we deserve for our punishment. That's what we've got coming to us. But Jesus comes in and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We don't know a lot about these thieves. We don't know what crimes exactly they committed. The Bible, all the gospel writers say they were thieves and they were robbers. And they're being executed as a public spectacle for all the rest to see that this is what happens to thieves and robbers, and they're there. We don't know all they may have done and gotten away with. We know they got caught, they got tried, and they're gonna be executed, but we don't know all the other sins they did. We don't know all the thoughts they said or how they hurt other people along the way or the words that came out of their mouth or, 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 or what uh, they may have thought, what they may have watched, what they may have seen, but I will tell you, God knows all about them. He knows the very most inner recesses of our heart, and the same is with us today. God knows everything we have done, thought, said, viewed, where we've been, what we've done in the privacy of our own lives. God knows where you're at. 
And the amazing thing is he will still say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm gonna give you three thoughts this morning as we look at this message, three lessons from these two thieves as we look at the perspective. And the, the first is simply this, and we've gotta get this. They deserve to be punished. They deserved what they got. Now today you hear a lot of terms like they're a victim of their environment. They're a victim of society. They're, they're basically good people on the inside who had a rough upbringing, who maybe daddy wasn't there or they, they just had a rough home life or they, they were in poverty and so they grew up in poverty and they learned how to steal and they're really good people who just got a bad rap somewhere else along the way. But Matthew removes all doubt because at the very end he says, these robbers who were being crucified beside Jesus also insulted him. And so you see how pressure brings out the very worst in somebody. And when they're hanging on the cross and when they're dying there on their crosses, they still have enough breath and enough energy to still insult and mock someone else being crucified along with them. And that's about as low and as vile as you can get. They deserve to be there. And, and they're slandering him along the way. And you don't hear all their slanders. They said, you saved others, save us, get us off this cross. That's probably one of the things the gospel writers said they said. They may have laughed at him and said, hey, you've never seen nails this big in Nazareth, have you? They, they may have said, what, what kind of king are you after all to be hanging on a cross like this for everybody to see? Some kind of king you are. And these two crucified men are insulting the third. Rome said they were guilty. Rome said they need to be executed. Rome, Rome said they need to be hung on a cross. Their only value to society was to be a public spectacle because you can tell your kids, this is what happens to thieves and robbers, don't be like them. Yeah. And so they're hung for everybody to see and Rome pronounced their guilt and carried out their sentence. Even the pain of spikes and nails in their hands and their feet doesn't silence their spiteful tongues. And these two men died exactly how they lived. They took advantage of the innocent. They accused the innocent. They stole from the innocent. But Jesus Christ doesn't retaliate. Hmm. They probably wondered as they're going on their journey and they look at this third person they never met or seen before, beaten and bloody and bruised. They're probably thinking to themselves, I thought this was Barabbas' day. Where's our cellmate? Well, where's our dungeon buddy? Barabbas is far worse than we were. The Bible says he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. He was a revolutionary. He's the worst of the worst. Where's Barabbas and where'd this guy come from? Wondering as they're going along, as they make their journey to Calvary. Even their own mouth condemned them. Not only did Rome condemn them, but their mouths condemned them themselves. And, and one thief comes to the conclusion, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now, now you wonder how news got out about who Jesus Christ was, even in a dungeon or a prison cell, and yet the word of God is not 
restrained, it is unchained, it will go wherever it goes. And so probably there have been a lot of talk even among Roman soldiers and prisoners about this man from Galilee called Jesus of Nazareth. And, and so they'd heard his miracles and they heard how good he was and what a wonderful guy he was. And it begins to dawn on them, this is the guy that's carrying the cross along with us. And one of them says, this guy has done absolutely nothing wrong and it begins to kick in, he was innocent. They are cursed. But an innocent man will also hang on a cross. I want you to turn, I want you to see something in Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter three and verse number 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now notice two words he uses in verse 13 the word curse three times. In verse 14 he uses the word blessing. He says one would be cursed that we might receive a blessing. A curse represents man's very worst. It is the very worst about humanity. We are under a curse today because of our sins. Blessing represents God's very best for us, that he has for us. And because of our sin, the Bible says, we are cursed. For the wages of sin is death. I have a death sentence hanging over my head. I, I have the curse upon myself because of my sins, because of my wickedness, because of my evil deeds. And I deserve, the Bible says, to hang on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. That's what I deserve. But Jesus Christ, the Bible says, became a curse for us. In other words, he took my sins, he took all of God's judgment, all of God's punishment upon himself when he hung on that cross. He says in order that we might be blessed. He takes man's worst upon himself that we might receive God's very best so that we might be blessed. And how are we blessed? I am free from sin. I am a child of Abraham and thus a child of God by faith. Mm. It is incredible love of God. We sang that song earlier and it just, it just resonates with me. The reckless, crazy, abandoned love of God who would hang on a cross. He did nothing wrong and he gave his life for me. I'm that thief. He died in my place. He became a curse for us so that I might be blessed. That love of God is beyond comprehension. It is amazing. God could have justly abandoned us to our fate, left us to reap the punishment I deserve. But because he loved us, Jesus took my place. And like these two thieves, our future depends upon the choice that I will make. But it starts with acknowledging that I am a sinner. That that is me. That's me. That's you. That's us. I deserve that punishment. I think the second lesson that jumps off the pages is how they responded in different ways. They each responded differently. And so the Bible starts out, both of them are hurling insults. Both of them are mocking God. Both of them are accusing God and insulting him as they hang on that cross. But one of them has a change of heart and something happens, something triggers faith in his heart and life. And he says, remember me, remember me. 
When you get into your kingdom, I don't know what it was. They're mocking a man on a cross, suffering death, agony, pain, torture. He's unrecognizable. His teeth have been knocked out. His eyes are puffy and swollen. Blood is all over his face, mixed with spittle, and he is just a mess to look at. The Bible in Isaiah said there was no form of comeliness in him whatsoever. He was beyond recognition. They don't have much time left hanging on that cross. It's just going to be a matter of hours for Jesus. Possibly could have been a few days for these thieves had their legs not been broken. And as they mock that man, they hear him pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. One hardened thief continues to mock, and it says in the next verse, right after that, it says, uh, aren't you the Christ? Save yourselves and save us and do a magic trick and do a miracle and get us off of these tricks, uh, off of this cross, excuse me. But Jesus' words penetrate the thief on the right, and the mocker of Jesus now becomes his defender. And so he says, we deserve our punishment. This guy's done nothing deserving of death. And then in verse 42, look at this statement. He says, remember me when you get into your kingdom. Remember me. Now, when someone said, remember me, that phrase had great meaning because you could stand before a judge who had the power of life and death over you, who had the power to sentence you or kill you or pronounce judgment, and if you could say these words, remember me, it was asking the judge for mercy. And so when he uses that particular verbiage and language, he is recognizing that the man in the middle is, has great authority, he is a king, he is a judge. And so he says, remember me in your kingdom, in your new place, in your new heavens, remember me. What right has this thief done to warn any kind of help? He's been a low life, he's been a scoundrel, he's ripped people off all his life, he's been a thug, he's beat people up along the way. What right does he have to ask to be remembered? He's wasted his life and hurt others and now he's mocking Jesus Christ. What right does he have to even pray? But I could ask the same question of every single one of us. What right do we have? to say, remember us. You see, it's you and I on that cross, naked, desolate, and hopeless. What right do we have? It's much more than we could ever deserve or think of or dream of or imagine. What right do we have? When you look at the thief, just one line, one line, and he would be forgiven and cleansed and be with him in paradise that day. But when you look at the thief, you see that that is the way every single one of us are saved and come into the kingdom of God. There's three things that gotta happen, and I want you to get this, and you may wanna jot this down somewhere on your notes. Number one is, first of all, we have got to acknowledge our sins. You can't be saved until you first come to the conclusion, I'm a sinner. And as long as we think we got it all together and we're good and God deserves us and we're wonderful people, We'll never be saved. And so it always starts with an acknowledgement of our sin. And the thief on the right says, we deserve what we're getting. We deserve everything that is coming to us. And he acknowledges his own guilt. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Or if we acknowledge that I'm a sinner and acknowledge I can't save myself and acknowledge that I am helpless without God and hopeless without God, then I have a chance of being saved. So the first thing is we've got to acknowledge our sin and confess our sins. Number two, we've got to have faith to believe. 
And, and notice verse 42, I wanna read it to you again. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, there's something clicking in his mind. To have a kingdom, you must be a king. And so he is recognizing him that he is a kingdom, he is a king, he is Jesus, and there's something about his prayer that tricked faith in his heart. And when he heard the words of Christ, he believed. What's the Bible say in Romans? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so he heard the word of God, he got enough of it in his heart and spirit, and he and something different about that prayer. First of all, he addresses God as Father. That was something the Jews would not do, and yet there's a strange relationship between Jesus Christ and God the Father, and he could rightly call him Father. Abba Father, Daddy God. And then something else, he says, forgive them. The only one that can forgive sins is God alone. And so the very fact he's forgiving sins from the cross as he's hanging there proves that surely he must be the Messiah because the Messiah would come one day and forgive the people of their sins. And so he must be a savior. And so faith wells up in his heart and life. But he does a third thing that every single one of us must also do, and that's confess that out loud, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the Bible says he confessed him right then and he prays it out loud, Jesus, remember me, remember me. Turn to Romans, look at the book of Romans, look at chapter 10, eight to 10. It tells us exactly how you can be saved today, how every single one of us come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to it, verse number eight. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, say that again, we will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. What does this thief do? He acknowledges his sin, has faith to believe who he is, who he said he was, and and the last thing he does, he confesses, remember me, remember me, remember me. And if you'll say a simple prayer like that, the good news is,